morning is where we'll be. And continuing on our series in the book of Genesis, discovering the roots of our redemption. And uh, very excited about what God has in store for us here. We've made our way to Genesis chapter 37. And so I hope you found your way there already. Here in this chapter, we find the final genealogy in the book of Genesis. Now, don't let that scare you. It doesn't read like the rest of them do. Notice what the Bible tells us in verse number two. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. And what's the next word? Joseph. Now, we'll just stop right there for just a minute. Because really, the generations, the genealogy of Jacob... It really uh, is the story of his, his generations, of his descendants, is really told surrounding the life of his second youngest son, Joseph. And it's amazing how much attention the Bible devotes to Joseph throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. We have 14 chapters left in Genesis, and in these 14 chapters, Joseph's name is mentioned twice as much as Jacob, even though this is the story of Jacob's of Jacob's genealogy. And uh, the Bible gives very special emphasis, 14 chapters, to telling the story of the life of Joseph. God only took one chapter to tell us the story of the generations of how he created the world. He takes 14 chapters to tell us how we can live in this world effectively like Joseph. God really pauses to tell us some things and show us some things through the life of Joseph. If you think about it in this context, one quarter of the book of Genesis is devoted to Joseph's life. I think God wants us to learn something as we look to his example. And here's why. If you touch the story of the life of, Jacob, of Joseph at any point, you'll be reminded of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, I believe Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'll say this for us as Christians, that ought to be our desire, that if you touch our, touch our lives at any point in our existence, that you'd be reminded of Jesus. I don't know about you, that's, that's what I'm striving to live a life like. I'd like to be like Christ. And we see Joseph pointing to Jesus Christ at every turn of his life. And so the account of Joseph's life is it's one of the most beloved stories in all of the Scripture. And uh, I could go through a whole long list of plays that have been performed and songs that have been sung and stories that have been written who all received their inspiration from this one true biblical account in the scripture. And it is still a story that inspires us to this day. Here we have in the next 14 chapters of Genesis the story of a man who was beloved by his father but rejected and betrayed by his own brethren. Then he was enslaved and imprisoned unlawfully and unjustly. But God worked through all of those horrid circumstances to raise Joseph up out of that prison and make him the most powerful man in all of the world and through him brought salvation, physically speaking, to the whole world of that day. I tell you, that's why Joseph's life reminds us of Christ, most beloved of his father, and yet he was rejected by his brethren when he came down into this world. He was wrongfully accused and crucified and slain, but God raised him from the dead, and now he's the savior of the world. And that's, that's, a, that's, that, that's how much Joseph's life points us to Jesus Christ as we're going to study it here. And it's obvious that the hand of God, the sovereign hand of God was at work at Every turn in Joseph's life, oftentimes uh, ruling and many times overruling the decisions of other people to make them do uh, through Joseph what God was trying to accomplish. And so uh, the sovereign hand of God is, is something that is beautifully illustrated for us through the story of Joseph. And in the end, of course, we know that uh, through all the bad and the good circumstances that God allowed in Joseph's life, he brought it to a place that was for Joseph's good, for the good of the whole world, and for God's glory. And God was glorified through it. It makes me think of what the Bible says in Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. No way you could have picked up uh, the story of Joseph's life in the middle of the story and, try, and figured out what God was going to do. But now we get to look at the whole story and its beauty and its significance. And what a beautiful story it is. And so as we zoom our focus back in on Genesis chapter 37, here in particular, we find that Jacob is living with his family in the promised land. He's living in the land of Canaan. 
The Bible says in verse number one, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations or the descendants or the genealogies of Jacob. And what we find as we continue on in Genesis 37 hereafter is that the events that follow in this chapter introduce us to a family who are living in the promised land. But they're living in the promised land with a lot of problems. And I'll tell you something, the promised land is not a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of uh, the Christian life, I believe. And uh, the Christian life is not devoid of problems. It's not devoid of wars and battles that we have to fight. And uh, certainly this family had to discover that. Warren Wearsby described why there were such problems in Jacob's home. And when he said this, he said, When you have in a home a father, four different mothers, and twelve sons... You have the ingredients for multiple problems. And I dare say that's probably very true right there. Um, And so Jacob had kind of set himself up for failure when it comes to this. But this family, as we'll study, they were plagued by insecurity. They were plagued by favoritism, by hatred, by envy, by jealousy, and by deception. And at the center of all this stuff that was was taking place was, was Joseph. Joseph wasn't the reason for the problems that were in his family, But he was used of God to reveal the problems that were in his family. He's like a light in a dark place. Light shines in a dark place. It begins to reveal all the darkness that's around it. And that's very much what Joseph was like in the story of his family. A bright spot in in the darkness. A thorn or a a rose among all the thorns that were taking place and the evil around him. And what's amazing to me about the story of Joseph is how such a godly young man was able to grow up in such ungodly soil. (laughs) But that gives me hope, too, as a parent. That gives me hope as a pastor. And that gives me hope as as a person. Because I tell you something, if Joseph can do it, if God can do it through Joseph's life, then God can do it for our kids, too. Even in these dark days we live in. Hey, if God can do it in Joseph's life, God can do it in our lives, too. He can bring good out of all the bad. And it's still possible to live a godly life in a godless day. And that's demonstrated even from the life of Joseph here in the scriptures. Now, Joseph in Genesis 37 came to be known by a very significant name. And uh, it's this name that he was given in verse number 19 that uh, uh, is the title of our message today. Dreamer. His brothers called him the dreamer. Uh, Why? Well, because in this this chapter of scripture, God appeared to Joseph in a dream and, and he received God's plan for his future. And it was significant what took place here. Because even though he was surrounded by ungodliness and unbelief in his own family, what the Bible shows us here is that Joseph was willing to believe in the dream that God had for his future in spite of all those things. He was willing to believe in God's purpose for his life. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God has a dream for your life? What I mean by that is you believe God has a purpose for your life. God told Jeremiah, before you were even conceived in the womb, I knew you and I had a purpose for you. I ordained you as a prophet into the nations. I believe God has a purpose for every single person that is born into this world. The fact is, many people are so busy pursuing their own dreams that they don't have time to consider that God has a dream for them, that God has a purpose for their living, And I say to you this morning that God desires to reveal his purpose. He desires to reveal his dream today to you if you would just be willing to trust him to show it to you. So how can you be a dreamer? I'm not talking about going to sleep tonight and dreaming, okay? How can you be a dreamer? How can you be an individual that lives in light of God's purpose for your life instead of living for yourself? That's what I want us to consider from the scripture today. And I believe that God's word gives a wonderful biblical example in Joseph to teach us how you can become a person who lives to fulfill God's dream for your life. And so as we get ready to dig into the scriptures here, I want you to notice with me three biblical truths that the Bible teaches us about the life of a dreamer. And listen, um, it's easy to tune a message like this out, but I don't care what phase of life you're in. You say, well, I'm too old to dream dreams. You're wrong. God still has a purpose. If you're still living and breathing, and you're still alive and kicking, okay, 
God still has a purpose for your life. He still has a dream that he'd like for you to fulfill if you'd be willing to listen to it. And uh, we all need this, this reminder from the scripture today. And so let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts and we'll dig into the Genesis 37 together. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we once again implore you, Lord, that you would uh, send your spirit in a very uh, special way during our time together here today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, not allow me to get in the way of what you would like to say today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, work in, in my heart and through my mouth to be able to communicate your message today. And I pray you'd also, Holy Spirit of God, work in the hearts of every person gathered here today. May their minds be attentive to listen to the scripture and their hearts be open to receive the working of your spirit and their heart through your word. And I pray you'd bring us to make a faith decision as we hear the word of God today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Three truths that the Bible teaches us about the life of a dreamer. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice the preparation of the dreamer. The preparation of the dreamer. See, long before God ever revealed to Joseph the dream that he had for his life, God was working to prepare him to receive it. God was working to prepare his life for the purpose that he had created him for, even though very likely he didn't realize it. And I say to you this morning, it's important that you understand that God is working in your life too. He's working through the good circumstances and the bad circumstances that you've gone through in your life to get you ready for the purpose that he created you for. I like what Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 tells us, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a what? An expected end. To give you an expected end. God has an expected end for you. And the thoughts he thinks towards you, even through the negative moments of your life, are still thoughts of peace to bring you to that end. Don't stop believing in what God is doing in your life. God has good intentions for you. And oh, how important that is that we understand that. And so God was preparing Joseph for his purpose, preparing him to be this dreamer. And I want you to see how God prepared him and how God will prepare you as well. First, I want you to note that he is prepared to live with honesty. A dreamer is prepared to live with honesty. Notice what the Bible says in verse number two. As this verse continues, um, after the first sentence, the Bible says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now don't miss this. In our first glimpse of Joseph, what we have is a 17-year-old boy who is not in a place of privilege, but in a place of service. As young men, I'm sure Jacob did this for all of his sons. When they became old enough, he sent them out into the fields to start, learn, start learning the trade of the family. He, he sent him out into the fields with his older brothers and they began to, he became an apprentice to his older brothers and they began to teach him how to be a cattleman. And I'm sure that uh, uh, this is something that Jacob did for all of his sons at some point in time. In our first glimpse of Joseph, though he was destined for greater things, the first time we see him in the scripture here, we, what we find him being is a servant. That's where Joseph started at. He started at the bottom of the totem pole. He started as just another guy. He started as a servant, and that's so significant for us to understand. And let me just say this to you as parents and even grandparents and encouraging your kids here today. Don't let your kids grow up without learning how to work. Don't let them grow up without learning how to serve. You know, your kid doesn't have to be an adult to be able to serve in church, be able to find a way to get them involved. Don't let your kids grow up, grow up without learning how to work. I like what Matthew Henry had to say about this. He said, those that are trained to do nothing are likely to be good for nothing. <laughs> you don't train your kids how to work. You don't train your kids to live for God. You're not going to like what they turn out to be when they get older. I promise you that. The Bible promises you that. And that's, that's significant. And so, you know, Jesus himself, he told us the key to uh, greatness, the, the key to becoming a great leader. Um, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 27, he said, He that will be chief among you, let him be your what? Servant. See, great greatness is defined by uh, servant leadership. That's, that's, that's what Jesus had to tell us about this in the scripture. We've got to move on. What we find here is Joseph began to work under his brothers 
as this apprentice out in the cattle fields, the Bible tells us that he began to notice that as he was working, his brothers would go off and do some things they shouldn't be doing. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what was going on, but what the Bible does say at the end of verse number 2 is that Joseph brought to his father their evil report. He began to tell his father about the things that were going on, the things he was figuring out, things he didn't know were happening when he was still kept at home. But now he's out in the fields with them, and he started to see some of the wicked things that they were doing. And I don't believe, like some people say, that Joseph was a tattletale here. I don't think he was a teenage tattletale. I don't know what Joseph's brothers were doing. But I don't think it was just some nominal thing. I think it was some significant thing. I mean, we are talking about brothers who killed a whole village. We are talking about brothers who had already been immoral and already proved themselves as, as, uh, as, as pretty wicked guys. And so whatever they were doing, though the scripture doesn't tell us, Joseph thought it was pertinent enough to protect the name of his family and the respect of his father to be able to tell, to, to tell his father about what was going on. And so we find him doing this here. And let me say, this took, this took courage. This took honesty because it would just been easier to just join in with him. It had just been easier to just keep his mouth quiet so he didn't get, it, so he, he didn't get attacked for being the guy that ratted him out. That would have been the easy thing to do. But what we see Joseph doing is here that Joseph decided to do what was right even when it wasn't popular. And by the way, it's significant that he learned this lesson now because he was going to be tried with even harder circumstances of his integrity down the road later. And so God began to prepare him for the dream by challenging him to grow in this matter of integrity. And let me say to you this morning, God is working in your present to teach you how to live with integrity. And boy, I've learned this lesson over the past two years. But he's working in your present to teach you how to live with integrity. You know what integrity is? Integrity is doing right when nobody else is looking. That's what integrity is. And Joseph just decided, I don't care if anybody else is going to do what's right. I'm going to do what God says. I don't care if anybody else is going to do it right. I'm going to do what the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be doing. By the way, if God can't trust you with the little he's given you right now, why would he trust you with more? That's what Luke chapter 16 tells us. God, sometimes in the circumstances of our present, is preparing us for future things he'd like us to be involved in. And uh, by the way, if you live a life with integrity, that integrity will guide every step you take. A man of integrity will always know which way to go. That's what Proverbs chapter number uh, uh, 11 and verse number 3 tells us. The integrity of the upright shall guide him. And uh, you, if you just make a decision, I'm always going to do what's right, even if it gets me in trouble, even if it's not popular, you'll never go the wrong way. And uh, that's an amazing thing. And so we find, first of all, uh, in the preparation of the dreamer that he's prepared to live with honesty. But I want you to see this secondly. He's prepared to live with humility. He's prepared to live with humility. Verse number three, if you're there with me, say amen. Verse three, the Bible says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. The next thing we hear about Joseph here is that he was the favored one of his father. He was the favorite child. Now, sometimes we joke around about being favorite child, having ch favorite childs in the family, but Joseph literally was the favorite child. The Bible tells us that Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. And uh, I'll not park here long because we've already preached on this in, in, in the past in the book of Genesis, but favoritism is wrong. There's never a context when it isn't wrong. And if you are favoring your children, even adult children understand this, um, if, you're, if you're treating one differently than the other, if you overlook the faults of one, but you won't let the faults of another, you won't overlook the faults of another. If you, if you give any favoritism, you're the one that's bringing problems into your home. You say, no, it's my kids. No, it's not your kids. It's you. Favoritism invites problems into the home. And Jacob should have known better. He, he was on the negative end of his own father's favoritism. And yet here he is favoring one of his children once again. And uh, that brought a lot of problems into his home. But the Bible tells us the reason that he favored Jacob so much is because, or Joseph so much, is because Joseph, as verse, two, verse 3 says, Joseph was the son of his old age. And uh, this could mean a couple of things. Most people think it means that Joseph was the, though he was the second youngest child of Jacob, uh, he was the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife. 
Uh, some more favoritism from Jacob there. And uh, some people think that's, that's what it's talking about there. If you study the Hebrew phrase that he was the son of his old age, what that phrase literally means is that he was a white head on young shoulders. You know, we might call him an old soul today. He was a young man, but he had more maturity and he showed more character and ability to be able to pass down the inheritance to than the rest of Jacob's children. And uh, that's why some people say Jacob made him the heir. But regardless of why he was showing this favoritism, the Bible tells us at the end of verse 3 that Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors. Now this coat is a very popular coat, and uh, there's a lot of uh, ideas that are misconstrued about this coat. But this coat, in that Middle Eastern culture, it was just a special garment that was worn by an Eastern chieftain. And a chief would often give this a, coat, a piece of garment like this to his son to be able to designate him as the heir. And so what Joseph was communicating, or what Jacob was communicating by giving Joseph this coat to all the rest of his family was that Joseph was going to take over when he died. He was going to be the next one in line to rule the family. And those older brothers, they didn't like that very much. And so we see that uh, this favoritism of, Joseph, uh, of Jacob to his son Joseph began to take place. But here's what you need to know. None of this favoritism was, jo- was Joseph's fault. Okay? Joseph didn't ask to be favored. This was all by the will of his father that he was given this uh, privilege and this ability. And what I love as you study the life of Joseph is that though he was favored and though he was treated different and though he could have gotten prideful about that, he never allowed any of the favor that God allowed him to get to go to his head. He never became prideful. Joseph was still working out in the fields. Listen, In that culture, if you wore the chieftain robe, you didn't have to work. In fact, Joseph could have bossed his brothers around and they would have had to do what he said. But you never see that happening. You never see that taking place. Joseph decided to remain humble in the midst of all of his circumstances. And God used that humility uh, in a great way further down the road in Joseph's life. So once again, we see that God was preparing Joseph for this dream that he had for him. And let me say to you this morning, God cannot fill the life of a person who is full of themselves. You're too full of you. God can't do anything with you. You listen to me. God can only exalt those who are humble enough to let him exalt them. And so often, we're so prideful, we're so uh, independent, we so, we so think we don't need God that we don't give him a chance to work in our life. We don't give him a chance to show us his purpose for our life. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Like the old Persian proverb that says, the branch that bears the most fruit bends the lowest to the ground. And if you want to be greatly used by God, then you're going to have to do so with great humility. That's the only way it will work. And I wonder today, as you consider your own life, are, are you too full of your own dreams to be able to hear God's dream for you? Are you too full of yourself to let God fill your life, to let God fill your heart? You want to be a dreamer. God's trying to work in your life to prepare you, and he'll prepare you with honesty. He'll prepare you with uh, uh, humility. But a third thing I want you to see is that a, a dreamer is prepared with hostility. Prepared with hostility. Now look at verse number four in the scriptures, if you would. The Bible says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they what? They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Understand something. God was not just using the good circumstances in Joseph's early life to prepare him for his purposes. God was using the bad ones too. Joseph was probably one of the the loneliest young men that ever lived in the world. Though he had all these brothers, none of them wanted anything to do with him. The Bible says they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. The word is shalom. They couldn't even wish him well. They couldn't even say shalom to him. They, 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 they couldn't be around him. And how isolated and lonely that must have been for Joseph at that phase in his life. The Bible says they hated him. That word hated in the Hebrew literally means that they viewed him as the enemy. 
They viewed him as the opposition. They wanted nothing to do with him. And let me just stop here to say that hatred is a dangerous sin. Hatred is a root sin. That's why it's so dangerous. There are other sins that are fruit. Uh, fruit of, some, of some, some root sins. But hatred is something that if it's born in our heart, it can lead a person in all different types of directions. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and verse 12, hatred stirs up strife. That's what creates a lot of problems is hatred. It's a root sin. And we see this hatred in his brothers uh, uh, that was demonstrated uh, toward Joseph. And let me say to you, Jesus later taught us that if you hate your brother and your heart, it's just as good as if you murdered him. That's what Jesus compared hatred to because Jesus understood this was a root sin that leads to things like murder, that leads to worse things. And I say to you this morning, if you have hate in your heart, you'd be wise to let it go and forgive like the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 31. Just let it be put away from you before it destroys your life because if you hold on to that hate, it'll become something worse and you'll do things you never thought you'd do if you hold on to hate. And uh, Joseph's brothers, we're going to see that demonstrated from their life a little while down the road. But I want you to understand this as we think about the hostility that Joseph had to live with in these early days of his life. God allowed the hatred Joseph experienced here to prepare him for the dream that he had for him. Joseph was about to go through 13 years of being hated and put down. And God was getting him ready. In the early development of his life, he was preparing him for the dream, for the purpose that he had for him. And I say to you this morning, never forget the things that God has allowed you to go through in your past, the things that God may be allowing you to go through in your present. He is using all of those things to prepare you for the dream, the purpose he has for you in the future. And he makes no mistakes. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes we're going to ask the question, why are you allowing this to happen, God? Well, we'll understand it better by and by. He has a reason. He knows where he's taking you. You need to trust him. He's preparing you for his purposes. And so as we look at the life of a dreamer, first of all, we see, number one, the preparation of the dreamer. I wonder, is God preparing you today for greater things? Here's the second thing I want you to see. Let's notice also the proclamation to the dreamer. The proclamation to the dreamer. You see, after nearly 18 years of life, the Bible tells us that God finally revealed the dream to Joseph. Revealed his purposes to Joseph. Look at verse number 5. If you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Can you imagine this? One night, Joseph goes to sleep, and God shows up in his dreams. I'm sure he's dreamed many dreams before, but he knew this one was different. He knew this was a dream that God had sent into his conscience. And God made himself known to Joseph. And in the dream, the Bible tells us that all of his brothers were out in the field, and they were binding sheaves together. And, the, and, the, and Joseph said that as they were doing so, all the, all the sheaves that they had just bound began to stood up, stand up. And lo and behold, all of Joseph's brother's sheaves began to bow down to his sheaf. And uh, what an interesting uh, dream that must have been. And the Bible tells us the next day that, that Joseph got up and he went and told his brothers about his dream. And about this dream that had taken place. And obviously the meaning of the dream was, uh, uh, was apparent enough to all of them that it needed no explanation. And so no explanation is given. He had 11 brothers. He said, all of your sheaves bowed down to mine. And Joseph knew by this, hey, remember, his dad had made him the chief. He'd given him the coat of many colors. And for Joseph, this was affirmation that God had a reason for putting him in that position. This was affirmation that that was what God's plan was uh, between him and his brothers. And he couldn't help but share this message with his brothers. And indeed, later on, we're going to find out that, that Joseph's uh, full sheaf, all, of his, all the empty sheaves of his brothers, they came and bowed down to his full sheaf. Joseph was, Joseph was one that had all the food, remember? 
And all of his brothers came down and said, hey, we don't have anything. And uh, this dream did come to pass. Uh, but uh, they couldn't see that in the present. But boy, Joseph knew this was, this was God's plan. This was God's will. And listen, I don't think that Joseph sharing these dreams was just some excited little punk coming and saying, hey, guess what God told me? You guys are all going to have to bow down to me. I don't think that's what was happening here. I think that God made very clear to Joseph what his purposes were. And uh, um, he could not help but share God's future plan, this dream, this vision God had given him that, that not just involved him but involved all of his family. It was important to him that they heard the word of the Lord that God had given to him. Uh, and uh, his brothers, the Bible says, they just hated him more and more. Every word he spoke, that, ho- that hate was just, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> I can't stand this kid. Who is this kid? Uh, some of them were 20 years or more older than him. Who is this kid thinking we're going to bow down to him one day? You're out of your mind. That's what was going through their heads. And uh, the, the, the fact is, his brothers rejected the message. And, uh, you know, Pointing forward to Jesus Christ, Jesus was, de- was despised and rejected of his brethren too when he began to tell them why he had been sent into the world. And if you begin to uh, declare the dream that God has for you, you better get ready. Sometimes it's going to mean rejection. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Now, someone said about Joseph, Joseph was more than a prophet than a politician. Else he would have kept this to himself. <laughs> he was a politician. He said, okay, I know what's going to happen now, so uh, I'm going to wait till it happens. But Joseph, he was a prophet. He was just trying to share the message that God had put on his heart. And you listen, as a preacher, I understand this, but some of you, even in your families, you've experienced this too. Sometimes sharing the word of the Lord means you're going to be criticized and rejected for doing it. But you know what the Bible says in, he, in, in 2 Timothy 4 2? It says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. You declare the truth even when it's going to be received and even when you know it's going to be rejected. Even when it's popular and even when you know it's not going to be popular. And it might mean persecution. The Bible just tells us to declare the word of the Lord. And there have been more than one occasion when God has given a word from his word into my mouth that I knew if I said it, people would leave. I knew if I said that, if I preached that, People are going to be mad. I'm going to get a nasty letter. I'm going to get a nasty email. That's happened more times than I, than I would like to share with you. And there have been people that have left this church. But I'm going to tell you something. As long as I live, I'm going to keep on preaching what the Bible says. And Joseph, he declared his dream, though he knew he was going to face opposition for it. But it wasn't over yet. It was another dream. Go on in verse number 9. The Bible says, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance unto me. Now, can you imagine that? Joseph dreams again and the sun and the moon and the stars. I'm just trying to picture how he'd even know they were bowing to him. <laughs> uh, if, the, if the sun or the moon moved, I probably wouldn't know it's happening. But imagine uh, how fantastic of a dream that must have been. And in, in, in the scripture, the sun and the moon are, are pictures of, of, of uh, people that are in high authority. Now later, Jacob thought, you're talking about me and your mother. But that wasn't what was being pictured here. The sun and the moon were talking about the rulers of the world. And in a coming day, Joseph was going to become the head even over all the rulers of the world. Uh, even Pharaoh, the most powerful, the sun, the most powerful ruler in the world at that point in time, um, treated Joseph like he was his father. He reverenced Joseph. And Joseph was going to be given all this power. And uh, that, was, that was in order to save the world. And so this was a premonition. God was giving Joseph a dream, a, a vision of the great purpose that he had for his life here. And uh, all of this uh, would have been very difficult for Joseph to try to tell his brothers, especially after he saw their first response. He knew if he shared what God had showed him this time, He was going to face rejection for it. He was going to face criticism for it. But the fact is, these were the dreams that God himself had given to him. This was God's will for his life. How could he not believe it? How could he not share it with his family? And so Joseph began to tell his brothers this dream again. Now, let me just pause here to ask this question. Uh, How many of you are wild, crazy dreamers at night? You have some crazy dreams sometimes, okay? There's our dreamers, okay? And, uh, and I like what, uh, there's an Englishman, uh, Max, Max Bonhoeffer, this is what he said. He said, people who insist on telling their dreams are among the terror of the breakfast table. 
<laughs> and uh, I enjoy hearing people's dreams sometimes, but sometimes it's just kind of outlandish, you know what I mean? Uh, I heard the story about a, uh, about a guy, uh, he had a dream one night, and uh, uh, he dreamed that he proposed to his girlfriend. The next day he told his girlfriend about it, and he said, now what in the world do you think that, that, that could mean? And she said, I'll tell you what it means. It means you have more sense in your dreams than you do when you're awake. <laughs> I heard a story about a, a woman who uh, had a dream one night, and she dreamed that her husband gave her a really pretty pearl necklace. And she woke up the next morning and, and told her husband about the dream and said, what do you think that could mean? And he said, well, honey, when I come home tonight, I'll have an answer for you. And so she waited all day for her husband to come home. And the husband came home that night, and he handed her a book. And it was called, the name of the book was The Meaning of Dreams. And that was it. And some of you get that later, okay? I'll say this. He probably slept on the couch that night for that one. But um, anyways, well, lots of stories we could tell about dreams that we've had. Let me make something very clear to you. God does not speak to us through dreams today. You say, well, I, you, you, haven't, you didn't see the dream I saw. I don't care what dream, I, what dream you think you saw. I'm going to tell you something. He doesn't speak to us through dreams today. He's given us his completed word. Everything you need to know from God is right here. I tell you that very clearly because many people have been led into all kinds of crazy nonsense because they don't trust what the Bible says. They trust their dreams. Understand that's how the Mormon church got started. That's how Islam got started. That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses cults got started. Don't trust your dreams. Trust what the Bible says, okay? And uh, that is significant for us to understand. But in the Old Testament, they didn't have the completed Bible, and so God spoke through dreams. And uh, that's the difference there. But let me say this to you. Though God doesn't literally speak to us through dreams, yet God is still in the business of making His dreams known for our life, making His purposes known for our life. As a 17-year-old boy, God gave me a dream. Now, I'm not talking about a dream in the night. I don't think there's a dream I've ever dreamed that I can remember. Um, I'm just not a dreamer in that sense. But God did give me a dream when I was a young man, a dream of being a preacher. Seventeen, God called me to that purpose. And for the next several years, he began to prepare me. And there were times when I thought, I'm just not cut out for this. There were times when I thought, that it's not going to happen. God can't use somebody like me. But here I am today, and let me tell you, I'm living the dream. That's because of God, okay? And God has a dream for every person's life. Not everybody's called to be a preacher, but God has a dream for your life. The only question is, are you going to trust him in this time of preparation? Hey, are you going to trust him when he wants to proclaim it to you? Are you going to trust him to follow through in the dream, in the purpose that he created you for? We see, number one, the preparation of the dreamer. Number two, we see the uh, proclamation to the dreamer but the third thing and the final thing I want you to note this morning is the persuasion of the dreamer the persuasion of the dreamer see God prepared Joseph for this dream he had for him for the first 17 years of his life and then God proclaimed the dream that he had for his life the question that remained is what was Joseph going to do and to put it in a simple phrase this is what Joseph did Joseph believed God Joseph believed God Notice what verse number 10 says. The Bible says, And he, Joseph, told his dream to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Listen to me. Though no one else in his family believed him. No, no one else in his family believed the dream that God had given to him. Joseph decided he was going to believe God anyway. Though he faced much opposition for doing it, Joseph decided to remain persuaded in the truth that God had revealed to him and the purpose that God had appointed for him. And that's significant here. And I'll say if you're going to be a dreamer, if you're going to be someone who lives for God's purpose for your life, unmoved and unswayed from it, if you're going to be a dreamer, you're going to have to be persuaded of the dream, listen, even when you face rebuke. Even when you face rebuke. You've got to remain persuaded of the dream. The Bible tells us that when Joseph told his father, remember, he was the favorite of the father, and he comes to dad and says, Dad, 
you're not going to believe these dreams that God has given to me. This purpose that God has shown that he has for, for my life and for our family. When he began to share the dream with his father, his father rebuked him for it. That's the first uh, step of opposition he began to face. And boy, I'm sure he hadn't gotten much of that from his father before, nor had he warranted it. He was a good young man. But all of a sudden, when he begins to share his dream, the first bit of opposition he receives is from his own father. And to Jacob, what Joseph was proposing by this dream wasn't possible. You think, I'm going to bow down to you, Joseph? You're crazy, kid. I'm your dad. And uh, he just couldn't believe, nor could he understand what God was trying to communicate through this dream. Matthew Henry, he notes on this, the faith of God's people and God's promises is often sorely shaken by their misunderstanding the promises and then suggesting the improbabilities that attend the performance of it. But God is doing his own work and will do it whether we understand him aright or not. Hey, it's easier just to tell someone you're crazy when they tell you their dream that God has given to them. It's easier to do that than to believe that God can do the impossible than to believe that God could do something like that. I've seen young people who God works in their heart and calls them to be missionaries. And they go home and mom and dad says, son, you just, you just, you need to calm down just a little bit, okay? Uh, God doesn't want you to be, you can't do that. You don't understand what you're doing. I've seen parents try to talk kids out of God's purposes for their life. I've seen all types of rebuke and opposition that come when God puts a purpose in someone's heart, when God gives a dream to someone in their heart. I'm going to tell you something. You listen to me very clearly this morning. Don't ever tell God what he can't do. He's the God of the impossible. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Friend, there's nothing too hard for God. There's no dream that's too great that God cannot bring it to pass. And we need to understand that. And woe be to the person that tries to rebuke someone who knows what God has called them to do. I'd rather be, I'd rather be the guy that gets behind someone, promoting them and encouraging them to do what God is leading them to do. And fact is, Jacob should have known better. God had revealed his own purposes to Jacob in a dream all the way when Jacob was just a little bit older than what Joseph was. Remember the stairway to heaven, all right, or the stairway from heaven, I should say. Um, that all took place. Jacob should have known that this was possible, and yet he shoots down his dream, and uh, God can't speak to you like he spoke to me, and all of these things were taking place, and you may have to face, face rebuke from your own family from your own loved ones and pursuing the dream that God has given to you. But if God has given, to you, given that dream to you, you can remain persuaded of it. Don't ever let it go, though you face opposition. I like what the Bible says in, in Psalm 27, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Though nobody else will believe in me, then the Lord will take me up. You remain persuaded of what God has called you to do, even in the face of rebuke. But I'll say this as well. Believe the dream even when you face resentment. Even when you face resentment. See, the Bible tells us in verse number 11 that the next thing uh, Joseph had to remain, the next way that Joseph had to remain persuaded of his dream in the face of uh, was in the face of this uh, envy that he received from his brothers. Verse number 11, the Bible tells us there, and his brethren envied him for his dream. Envy, the Hebrew word kanah, it means jealousy. Uh, envy is a fruit of hatred. All right? Uh, envy is something that makes you jealous when other people are successful, particularly people that you hate, people you don't like. Okay? That's envy. Uh, there will be a lot of people that experience envy on Wednesday because the person uh, that they didn't vote for is getting into office, okay? And their hatred will make them mad because there he is, okay? And so there's a demonstration of envy, but all of us can experience envy if we allow hatred to brood in our heart. We, 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 can, get, we can get upset when anybody else, especially this person we're mad at, when they have any measure of success, and uh, it's so possible for all of us, and we see his brothers becoming envious at him. Joseph's brothers couldn't even stand to hear about God's dream for Joseph. And so we see that Joseph, he had to, fit, he had to 
keep on believing the dream, to remain persuaded of the dream, even in the face of the resentment of his own family. And you listen, you can mark it down. If you're going to pursue God's dream, if you're going to pursue God's purpose for your life, you will often be resented for it. Even by those who are close, for you and close to you. And the fact is, oftentimes it is the people who are the closest to you who resent you the most for it. You know, God's given me a dream that we're going to have a godly family. When you start, go, you start going to church, and oftentimes the person who opposes you the most and resents you the most for it is your spouse. I've seen it more times than I'd like to admit. You've got to trust them to God, but you can keep on doing what God has led you to do. You can keep believing the dream. God can turn the heart of your spouse. God can do any of those things. Keep believing the dream. And so even in the face of rebuke, even in the face of resentment, and then I'll say this finally, even in the face of rejection. Go down to verse number 19. Because we find here that Joseph was persuaded of his dream later in the story, even when his family rejected him. Because after his dreams had taken place, after he'd told his father, later he goes out to see his brothers and when his brothers see him coming, this is what happened in verse 19. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, and they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some either evil beast has devoured him. And read the last phrase with me. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Their hatred turned into envy, and their envy turned into malice. Malice is that... Root of this, that fruit of hatred in your heart that makes you want to prevent someone from having something good. They hated him so much. And here's his brothers rejecting him. And Joseph had to face all of these things coming at him from his brother, the, re the rebuke of his father, the resentment of his brothers, and then the rejection of his family. And in the end, we find that he was sold into slavery. And so God sent him down this pathway towards his purposes for his life. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to believe the dream, even in the face of opposition, sometimes that means you're going to have to remain persuaded of it, even when those closest to you reject you for it. Well, if you're going to do that, I don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to go that way, if you're going to try to live that way, if you're going to try to go after that purpose that you think God's calling you to do, then friend, goodbye. Sometimes that's what it's going to require. But Jesus told us in the book of Matthew, he that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Friend, there is no relationship you have in this world that should keep you from God's purposes for your life. Here's the beautiful thing about it. Joseph thought that his relationship with his family was over. But because he followed God's purpose for his life, you fast forward to the end of the story. He was closer to his family in the end than he had ever been. You trust God with the dream. You trust God with the purpose he has for your life. And he can do more to bring your family together than what you could ever comprehend. And what a wonderful encouragement that is for us. I'm reminded of the story of William Wilberforce. He was a man that God gave a great dream to. William Wilberforce was, a, was an Englishman, and the dream that God gave to him was the abolition of the slave trade in England. For over 20 years, he fought in the political houses um, of England for the abolition of slavery. And he faced the rebuke of his nation, he faced the resentment of his peers and he faced the rejection of some people that were the closest people in the world to him through that whole process. But he never lost sight of the dream. The story is told about 10 years into this battle of trying to get slavery abolished in England that Wilberforce got very tired, exhausted. He wanted to quit. And as he tells the story, he at that point, got out of his Bible and began to thumb through his Bible. And as he thumbed through his Bible, a paper fell out of his Bible and fluttered to the floor. And he picked it up and he found it to be from the recently deceased uh, uh, Charles Wesley. Had written him a note. And he again took some time to read that note he had received years before from uh, John Wesley. It was John Wesley, not Charles. And this is what John Wesley wrote to him. He said, unless the divine power has raised you up, I, I see not how you can go through 
with your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Or are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing, my friend. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And Wilberforce went on for ten more years. And God used him to see the dream fulfilled. Slavery was abolished in England. You listen. Though no one else may believe the dream, the purpose that God has given to you, like Joseph, just trust God anyways. Though you face rebuke, though you face resentment, though you face rejection from those close to you, just trust God anyway. He has a reason for it. In the good and the bad that he allows you to go through, he still can bring his good purposes to pass in your life. If you'll just trust him. We need this challenge because, hey, this year we're focusing on but God. But God. I don't care what's happening in your life. If God has given you a dream, even when all hope seems lost, there's always but God. He can always work. And Joseph, he just had this great dream. And after this dream takes place, he gets sold into slavery, put in a, put in a, a house as a slave. Then he gets uh, uh, seduced and falsely accused and imprisoned. And he spends, he spends uh, many, many years in prison. And this all takes 13 years and all these horrible things happen to him. You can almost hear the words of his brothers echoing in your mind. We'll see what's going to happen with his dreams. But God was with him. And God used all of that to fulfill those dreams. And God is going to use all the circumstances of your life to fulfill his purposes for you too. And so do you believe that God has a purpose for your life? Are you willing to trust him? through the good and the bad, to bring about that purpose? Are you willing to believe the dream, even if you're facing opposition today? Well, dear friend, don't throw in the towel. Keep trusting the Lord. He'll bring it to pass if you just trust him.